That's 162 games of the baseball season, and winter comes along just to end it. So the annual problem for a baseball fan is finding a good way to watch it. Like maybe going to the park or watching on TV or just catching the highlights. Watching Gary Sanchez strike out a hundred times or seeing Judge hit a bomb. Bang! Bogart's making plays, Rafi hitting nukes, or Barnes blowing a save. Arguing with your friend, making dumb bets, or complaining about your team again. As you can tell, there's a whole lot of stuff to hear before winter comes again. Come on, y'all. So chill with us, cause Gamby and Beal are gonna say it all. So chill with us, cause Gamby and Beal are gonna say it all. Manfred, Gamby and Beal are making a podcast. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Yank Your Socks Off podcast. I am your host, Andrew Gambardella III. Scratch that co-host because how can I forget my lovely, awesome co-host, my best friend, Matthew Beal. Beal, how are we doing today on this fine Monday? Wonderful. I'm wonderful as well. I had an absolute blast staying with you this weekend. Um, thank you for letting me crash on, uh, on your couch. Um, yeah, it was, of course, of it course. was, uh, it was a good time. It was, it was, it, it was, was nice to see the family. Um, it was, it was extra nice to be in Durham to watch that Duke UNC game. Um, oh, we'll get to that later in the show. Um, but we're going to start with what we, we love to talk about and that is MLB. Major League Baseball is only three days away. Um, I mean, and there's still moves that are being made, but it seems like the final moves, the final strokes are being made here. Um, Yeah. So we'll start with the MLB today. We'll then go into NBA and then we'll finish with college basketball. So, um, Beal, do you want to take us away with what's going on um, in the MLB right now? Um, sure. Well, there was a trade between the White Sox and the Dodgers, both considered to be uh, potential World Series competitors. We'll see about that one. But um, the White Sox traded what they had plenty of and the Dodgers traded back what they had plenty of. And for those who don't know what trade it was, it was Kimbrel for A.J. Pollock, a pitcher from the deepest bullpen in the league. Um, for a hitter from the deepest lineup in the league. I think it was pretty just clean cut, like easy peasy, one for one. Need uh, for contracts need. matched up very – what did you say? It was a need for need. Like, oh, yeah, need for need. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty satisfying trade. You don't, you know, see that a lot one for one. But, um, but yeah, uh, I mean yeah. – 
I, I, I think it was a good trade for both sides. Like the White Sox are still probably the best bullpen in the league, in my opinion. Um, they have Liam Hendricks. They have Kendall Graveman, who was a top five closer last year. Um, they are in no need of extra bullpen arms, and they got rid of probably their third best closer, although Kimbrell is still all-star level closer. So, I mean, it was just kind of excess talent in that bullpen. Um, it hurts a little bit that Garrett Crochet got hurt last week, and he'll be having Tommy John surgery, but I still think they're incredible, and they don't really need extra help in their bullpen right now. And what they need is help in the outfield, and, I mean, it makes them a really scary outfield having A.J. Pollock playing every day next to Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez. Yeah, that is a scary outfield now. Um, I I just think with position players, I think the White Sox absolutely clean up in this trade. I Maybe it's it's a salary – it's kind of a salary-saving move here for the Dodgers, too, who have obviously put out the uh, the big bucks for Freddie Freeman and um, recently, a couple years ago, for Mookie Betts. So they got some big contracts out there, and then Cody Bellinger eventually will be a pretty huge contract. So, But I still, I still think the White Sox win this trade. A.J. Pollock slides right in. Um, but you're right to say like, there doesn't always have to be a winner. I, I think the Dodgers also come out here as a winner because, um, Kenley Jansen still, you know, he's gone. He's not, not a Dodger anymore. They, they need a closer and they get one in Craig Kimbrell, who's still pretty good. And the White Sox, as you said, still have a very good closer in Liam Hendricks and a very good setup guy. And don't forget about your, your guy, Joe Kelly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, I think it's kind of insulting to call Graveman a setup guy. I mean, this is a guy, remember last year, and I think you and I had talked about this, but, or maybe I was talking about it with Jonathan. I can't remember. Um, but Kendall Graveman came from, he went from the Mariners to the Astros in the middle of a series where the Mariners were playing the Astros. And it was a, a swap that nobody saw coming. The Mariners were still very much in the playoff race. The Astros um, were had a commanding lead on the AOS, so obviously they're gone for bullpen arms. Um, but nobody expected that bullpen arm to come from the Mariners, let alone in the middle of a series. Kendall Graveman one day pitched for the Mariners. The next day he was pitching for the Astros against his own team. And so just one of the cooler storylines from last year, but there is a reason why he was the one who was targeted by, targeted by the Astros. And he ended up having – an incredible year, like I said, top five closer in the league. Um, to call him a setup man, I mean, is fair given where he stands. Liam Hendricks is still the guy at the back of the bullpen. He's going to have most of those um, closes but in the ninth inning. But Kendall Graveman is easily, in my opinion, a top five closer and maybe top two in the AL. I mean, you know, up there with Chapman and, and his – other guy, Liam Hendricks, like it, those are, those are the top guns in the AL. And so kind of being able to see them at the back of the bullpen, like you don't need to throw in another top three, top four uh, closer. So it's just, it's kind of funny to me. I mean, the, the two guys were just absolutely lights out last year and we'll see what Graveman does if he's able to reproduce. But I mean, the way I look at it, the White Sox have two closers and two very, very good, high-paying closer. So um, they're both going to get the job done. 
if one gets hurt, if, you know, Graveman, Graveman has a beautiful cutter. So, I mean, Graveman might be the guy that they bring in against a lefty to jam someone. Liam Hendricks has the hot stuff. Like, I, I mean, both of them can throw hard, but Hendricks is going to come at you with that hundred mile an hour fastball. Um, it, they're going to be able to utilize them both. I, I think that the way the White Sox have utilized their bullpen in recent years has just been pretty awesome to watch. I mean, they've used bullpen slots for some of the younger pitchers coming up. Lots of flamethrowers in that pen, and it's just really fun to see uh, them being utilized. And so, I don't, I, I don't anticipate them going closer by committee. Between, I mean, even though. I, I feel like we're going to end up seeing both arms in the ninth inning, just depending on where the big spots come up. You might be able to see Liam Hendricks in the seventh inning if bases get loaded and they get into a tough spot. And then they still have Graveman to close it out in the ninth. Like yeah. having the ability to just throw in your best pitcher out of the bullpen in the six and still have a top of the line closer is, I mean, that's just kind of unfair. Like, yeah. I, I mean, as you deep, nice deep dive into this trade, it, it really does make sense for both teams. Um, cause Craig Kimbrell, um, as a closer last year for the Cubs, cause he was traded mid mid season. He had a point, a 0.49 ERA, um, with 23 saves, um, in 36 inning, innings pitched. He, I mean, that is, that's incredible. And a 0.7 whip. I mean, the sick. Yeah, he was an all-star. He was incredible. But then he gets traded to the White Sox, and in 23 innings there, he's not the closer. He's a setup guy and has over a five ERA. So I think he really just thrives in that closer position. He's he's still a great pitcher. So he wasn't going to be the White Sox closer. The White Sox said, you know what? That's not a great fit for him, and it's not a great fit for us because we don't. We don't need him, um, and they get top value for him in A.J. Pollock, who is a good two-way outfielder. Uh, I wouldn't say great, but he's good, you know. He's solid. Great. Like, you know, if, you're, if we're playing MLB The Show, he's a great contact hitter. He's going to put the ball in play, um, and that's what you need in a lineup now with the White Sox that has a lot of power, um, good amount of speed, and – and they need a, a guy to get on base and set up for the guys behind them. Yeah, I'm willing to make a statement about AJ Pollock. I love that trade. Like you said, I think it benefits both sides. The value that AJ Pollock brings to the Dodgers is not as high as the value he brings to the White Sox, and vice versa for the same thing for Craig Kimbrell. And so, but um, let me so let me just say, interject here I, real quick. I want to make a statement. Give AJ Pollock's stat line right here 297 last year and 384 at bats um he batted almost 300 um over 100 hits i mean that's a good baseball player over a three war i mean that's just not a good baseball player that's a great baseball player i mean they're both 33 years old please make your statement i apologize for interjecting um i just thought i I would add that as icing on the cake i appreciate that um, but, uh, I, I think that led as a good segue into my point, but, um, the last time AJ Pollock played every game of the season was 2015 in 2015, he had 673 played appearances, um, ended up with 20 home runs, 315 batting average, 
uh, 53 walks to 89 strikeouts, 865 OPS. The dude was cracked. He was very good. Um, won a go glove that year. Ever since, hasn't won an award. But he's played 46 uh, – or, sorry, 12 games, 112 games, 113 games, 86 games, 55 games, 117 games, um, never eclipsing over about 460 plate appearances. And, and that was – back in 2017 that he did that so what i'm the point i'm trying to get to here this man has 600 plate appearances maybe 130 games i believe and i'm going to make a point here this is my take of the year he's going to be an all-star with the chicago white Sox. wow and that is a strong statement given the outfielders that we know of in the AL, but I do think he's going to be an all-star. Um, I thought that as soon as he was traded, I've loved AJ Pollock. The dude hits everybody. He's not one of those guys who just hits lefties or righties. The dude just hits all pitching, takes it to all fields, has a little bit of pop in his bat, could definitely hit 25 home runs, um, plays the outfield really well for a 33-year-old uh, going on 34. I mean – I don't think this guy has shown any signs of slowing down. The only part about his game is the inconsistencies with staying on the field. His durability um, has been questioned in previous years. And, and that's why, you know, we haven't heard his name as much in addition with him starting out as a diamondback, Um, not as big of a market, but has been a really clutch and trustworthy player in the Dodgers lineup. And he's just one of those guys like, I mean, they have so many of them, Chris Taylor included. I mean, I believe that these guys on different teams could be all-stars. I mean, he was an all-star in Arizona. Um, and ever since he got to the Dodgers, he kind of took a secondary role. But the role for – his role in Chicago is there. He's going to play right field mostly every day. And he's probably going to hit around five or six in the lineup. And – Seeing regular play gets a guy going. It gets a guy to be a little bit healthier. You're not rolling off the bench um, just kind of cold, like from the day. You're not pinch hitting anymore. You got your own position. You feel more comfortable. And I think that's all A.J. Pollock needs to to make his second All-Star game. And who knows, if he plays a full year, we might see uh, him flash the glove a little bit, even at age 34. My, my worry with him is he's played for the Diamondbacks. He's played for the Dodgers. Those are West Coast, very warm environments. It, it does say something to play 81 games um, in the cold, windy town of Chicago, nicknamed the Windy City for a reason. So that'll be interesting because it's also tougher for injuries and stuff. Um, that is a very bold take, Theo. I think Kimbrell has a better – shot to be an all-star than Pollock does um and that I might think, be a crazy uh, stat, stat thing to say but uh, that's what I'm going to stick to I think Kimbrell has a better chance to be an all-star than Pollock does but I still like the trade for the White Sox yeah um I will say uh last year in 2021 AJ Pollock was pretty good in the playoffs right um they- that's another thing, right? Because the Some White Sox, weather. the White Sox get into get into the postseason, right? And they they were outmatched, outclassed 
by the Astros in that series. They didn't do that well is because they have guys like Eloy. They have guys like Jose Abreu, even Tim Anderson, Moncada. These are guys with a lot of pop and Luis Robert. You know, they can put the ball out Robert. at any any time. It's kind of like the baby bombers were a couple of years ago, the Yankees. They, they had a lot of guys who could put the ball out, but they didn't have a DJ LeMahieu to get on base in front of them to make a difference and, and put the ball in play and bat near 300 um, and put pressure on the defense. And I think that's what Pollock can be for the White Sox. So I, I think it is a great move for them. Yeah, good veteran hitter yep. um, in a young lineup. And, I mean, not not that they don't have veteran hitters. Obviously, they have Jose Abreu, but um, – but there's never a shortage of veteran hitters on postseason teams that could play every day. So I, I think the more veteran hitters you have on a team like that, the better. Uh, whether they're playing every day or not, I think it's just a bonus that you're going to be able to play this 34-year-old and count on him to put up good stats and to have you know good hitting lines and uh, manufacture runs for your team. I, I think that's a luxury to have in a 34-year-old, and there's not tons of them out there. Um, but you saw what Nelson Cruz did for the Rays last year. I mean, you could bring in a, a guy in his late 30s and and he's going to influence the clubhouse. He's going to get guys going. And Nelson Cruz was able to do that vocally, but also physically when that guy can also go out on the field and be one of your best hitters like Cruz was for the Rays in the playoffs last year. I mean, it, that's uh, unrivaled. Like you, you just can't get that everywhere you go. And so being able to get an experienced guy um, – also, obviously, a postseason experienced guy who's 34 and can help these other hitters out both in the clubhouse and on the field. I mean, I, I just think that's awesome. And and same goes for Kimbrell. I mean, uh, there's a lot of young pitchers on the Dodgers coming up right now. And um, and I mean, we'll we'll be able to see his benefit on that bullpen um, and uh, and what he's able to do with uh, with that staff. So um, excited for for both people. Both trades, both teams uh, don't really care for the Dodgers. So I hope that, you know, hope that A.J. Pollock goes off and wins MVP. But, you know, we'll see. We'll yeah, I, I like that positivity. But um, we I briefly brought up the Yankees because I always bring up the Yankees because I'm the Yankees fan of the <sighs> podcast. But with their just I'm going to quickly mention this. We trade Jolie Rodriguez last year for Miguel Castro. Miguel Castro throws that three-quarter arm, played for the Orioles for a while. He's still young, 27. It's basically just a righty bullpen arm from the Mets uh, The re- for a lefty bullpen arm in Jolie Rodriguez. So the Mets need a lefty in the bullpen. Um, we already have a couple left good lefties in our bullpen, and Miguel Castro could be great. Um as that righty flame thrower with absolute nasty stuff. He just walks a bunch of guys. Um, but the, the significance of this trade is the Yankees and Mets haven't made a trade with MLB players in it since 2004, December of 2004, when the Mets traded Mike Stanton, not the Mike Stanton that we all know now, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, because he changed his name. But Mike Stanton, a pitcher for Felix Heredia. Um, so another pitcher for pitcher trade, but that's 18 years between Crosstown rivals making trades with each other. So if you think little rivalries aren't a thing, they definitely are. Um, there's definitely 
you know, some, some bad, like there's not a lot of Yankees Red Sox trades that you see out there. Um, so this, this is, I mean, kind of big for that reason, but that's pretty much it. I don't think there's, I mean, winner and loser. I think it'll be dependent on who gets to pitch more innings. I, I, you know, you never really know, but it's just two bullpen arms. Um, and then the last trade, Beal, if, if you want to take this away, this is the biggest trade of them all, um, in my opinion. It's Sean Manaya going to the Padres for two, two prospects. Um, two prospects going back to the A's from the Padres. The Padres give up. They don't even have to give up a top 10 prospect. They give up two prospects. Um, somewhere in their top 30 prospects, two decent players, but but nothing special for a very good rotation arm. Um, do you want to hear what their rotation is now, Beal? They have a rotation of like nine. Yeah, I, I'm going to cut it off at, at seven here. Okay, that's fine. Um, one, or, one, two, and three, you can make a case for all three of these guys at the top. Darvish, you Darvish, Darvish, Blake Snell, and Mike Clevenger. I mean, come on. I, and then you have Musgrove on top of it as like your step-down fourth pitcher with Manaya as your five. Um, Manaya is like a two or a three on most teams. You also ace have, on like 10 of them. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> he was the ace of the ace leaving there. Yeah. Well, arguable with Frankie Montas, who is now their ace, bona fide ace for the ace. Um, and they have said they've closed the doors on trading Montas before opening day. He's staying. He's their opening day starter. Um, so the Yankees big will not be. Yeah, big miss. Another big miss for the Yankees. But we'll see. But we'll see if we can make a trade with the Padres because at six, they have Chris Paddock, who a couple years in his rookie year had under a three ERA, um, still a lifetime like 4.2 ERA. Um and he's pitched 308 innings, a lifetime career of 20 and 19. He's just 26 years old um, and 60 starts. He's been relatively healthy. Um, and then to throw it off, this is the, the but I think he's in a lot of trade, um, trade talk now. And I think Chris Paddock will no longer be a Padre come very shortly within the next couple couple days. I think that's a name to watch because um, he could be a very good number four, number five for, for a lot of teams, but he's the Padres number six. Or the Padres number six could be Mackenzie Gore, who was the top prospect not like one or two years ago, right, Beal? Yep. Yep. It's crazy. Uh, it, it is it's just crazy. crazy. Um, best that's the only way I could put it. That's rotation it, I, in baseball by far. Yeah, I, I was looking at this rotation last year. I remember I sent it to you, but like I was, I was like, who's even the five? Like, how do you even make that decision? Because you're cutting out like a really good pitcher, and they just keep adding to it. Like I heard a couple of weeks ago when they were like, uh, "There's reports coming out that the Padres have been trying to trade for a pitcher since October, um, since the postseason ended," and so it's just. Crazy to me that uh, that they ended up making that deal. Um, I I couldn't believe it when I heard that they were going for a pitcher because I just didn't think they needed one with Clevenger coming back and Blake's now healthy. And 
Um, yeah. You Darvish hopefully has a yeah. bit of a bounce. Mike Clevenger's a little banged up. He's got a knee issue, so he, he'll be on the mend. So maybe they keep Paddock until Clevenger can come back. But I just think that's a name to watch, who I wouldn't be mad if the Yankees got him. I really wouldn't be mad at anything, but the Yankees also got another catcher from the Rangers and Jose Trevino. Um, so I just throw, I throw that in late um, because Ben Rotrev, who we got from the twins is a little banged up as our backup catcher. So we needed another backup catcher to Kyle Higgy bomb. Higesha Yoka. Um, I love Higgy. Um, but another, we're just going all in on defense now at catcher after leaving Gary Sanchez behind in the dust. Um, I hope he revives his career in Minnesota, but then again, I, I good riddance. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, another weird thing you said, um, before when Kendall Graveman was traded and pitched against his former team, Sean Manaya in spring training gets traded from the A's and the next day he goes out and he throws three and two thirds innings, gives up six, six hits and a run um, while f- facing his former team in the A's. So I, I thought that was, I thought that was really neat to see. Um, he also had yeah. four K's, but it, Pretty cool. the love that, I mean, you could see that that guy, that Sean is a really good teammate in the clubhouse. Um, the A's good fans team. at that spring training game, were cheering him on and all of his former players were hugging him and, and you could just see the camaraderie was still there. And it, it, yeah, it it was, it was pretty cool to see. Um, And I do want to bring up um, this guy threw a no hitter against the Sox in 2018. That was the best team that we've probably seen in the last 10 years and not to toot the Red Sox horn, but it was, but you just, they were incredible. In April twenty April twenty first, twenty eighteen, Sean Manino hit the Boston Red Sox, who went on to win the World Series. That is no small feat. That is huge. And so this guy has big game potential. Um, he could pitch against great lineups. He could pitch against powerful righties. Um, I mean, the dude no hit a team with Mookie, JD, and Bogarts. Like, yeah, I mean that pretty incredible, if you ask me. But uh, that's just coming from a Sox fan who cried that night. So, yeah, y'all, y'all were a pretty nasty team. You've won almost 120 games, so it's very, very hard to argue against the uh, the 2018 um, Red Sox because you won the title too. Um, yeah, I, yeah, 108 I really- wins in the regular season, 11 in the playoffs. Yeah, lots of wins that year. Only a couple losses. I would say only that was because wonderful. of historical um, significance um, that that Cubs team could could rival them. You know, Chris Bryant um, back in 2016. Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras, Kyle Schwarber. Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, Ad, even Addison Russell back then was, yeah, not a 
piece of crap. He's a shitty person. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, Jason Hayward, I mean, they had an absolutely loaded lineup and their pitching staff um, of Lester and and Hendricks and wow, I'm I'm forgetting. I think they had John Lackey too, right? Did they not? Uh, I think so. And then Dave. David Ross was still their catcher at this at that point and not their David manager. Ross. Yeah, is yeah. incredible. Yes, yes. He I is. love that man. Won the World Series with the Red Sox. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Did I? Yeah. I, sorry, I didn't mention a World Series yet. This part. Oh, wait, no. No, that's two now. My bad. They had Ben Zobris, Dexter, <laughs> Dexter Fowler. How could I forget about my guy, Dexter? What a name. What an absolute name. Um, Jake, Jake Arietta back when he was good. That feels like so long ago. And then Chapman as their closer. I mean, they had a very, very loaded roster. Um, Yeah, that that's all I'm going to, that, that would be my only argument, but I think the, the Red Sox team, I'll, I'll say in the last 10 years, yes, the Red Sox team was stats. Don't lie with that one. Um, has heard by our last, our last debate, the stats do not lie. Um, but that does it for the MLB. We're so excited because three days away from the Yankees, absolutely probably losing. I would say, I mean, from the bad blood from getting kicked out of the playoffs from the Red Sox, I think we lose a heartbreaker opening day, like four to three to the Red Sox. How does that sound to you, Beal? I mean, that sounds good. Um, I would prefer like eight to zero. Um, (laughs) My prediction. So Garrett Cole is your opening starter, opening day starter, correct? Yep. Yavaldi is our opening day starter. Okay. That is all. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. If it's, if it's anything like Duke UNC, then it would be a rerun of what happened um, just a sh- short few months ago. Um, but that does it here for the MLB. We're waiting. No, on no, 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 no. And the biggest MLB news. Oh, what? I know you didn't hear this because you're not a big prospects guy. Oh, God. So it's but not the biggest news. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, okay. how J-Rod, Julio Rodriguez, one of the top prospects in Major League Baseball, future five-tool player, speedy, strong-hitting outfielder for the Seattle Mariners, was creeping on the bigs. He made the opening day roster in an outfield that is already incredible and filled with names like Mitch Hanniger and Jesse Winker, Jared Kelnick, fellow big star prospect. This outfield is going to be incredible. It likely pushes Winker to to the DH spot. But if we're looking at those outfielders, I mean, Kelnick has already great power. Um, He shows it on one side. He hits very well against righties um, with power. Uh, Did not not, uh, figure out his hit tool too well in the, the time that he was in the bigs last year. But he's got big speed as does Julio Rodriguez. So, I mean, speed transfers, speed is speed. So you're going to like those guys. They're going to be fun to watch and they're going to hit bombs. Like, I mean, it's, it's kind of just a guarantee. Like it might take them a little bit to get going, 
Um, I have high hopes for Julio Rodriguez. I think he's going to just fit fine into the bigs. Um, I don't think they would brush him if he wasn't ready because they do have three great outfielders. And I, I do think Kelnick is going to kind of hone in on some of his skills and show why he's such a big prospect this year. Um, and I mean, then Hanniger, like this outfield is awesome. And then your infield is Ty France. Um, they got a uh, Frazier from the pirates last year. They have JP Crawford who kind of was a little decent last year. Um, and I'm blanking on who they have at Mitch Haniger. Did you Mitch Haniger? I already talked about Mitch Haniger. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. But their outfield and is absolutely loaded. loaded. Well, third base, they, they have, have a, a whole oh, big... hey, Eugenio. That's who I was forgetting. Yes. About. From Eugenio Spreads. Suarez in the Winker trade. Yeah. When who had a down up. year. I mean, they're gonna that's a team that could win that division. I mean, that that division Eugenio now still had with, 31 home runs last year. With Correa, Low average, but still hit bombs. With Springer and Correa leaving in back-to-back free agencies, I don't know if the Astros can handle it again. I don't think they win that division again in the AL. Um, the Mariners they, are a feisty team for sure, and they have young talent mixed with veteran talent. Um, and I, honestly, I just I, I love their outfield. But just looking through their infield, Ty France had a huge breakout year last year. Adam Frazier became a household name around the trade deadline. He was one of the top pieces um, coming out of Pittsburgh. There's always one guy coming out of Pittsburgh. Um, It's going to be Brian Reynolds this year. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, J.P. Crawford, I mean, he came up as a huge prospect. He's got lots of speed, kind of honing in on his craft. Still young, uh, hasn't really – peaked yet i don't think um definitely has potential and eugenio suarez i mean he's going to give you 30 home runs i don't care if he bats 200 he's going to hit bombs and that's what he does and he's now in seattle um these guys are going to be hitting bombs they're going to be running a lot Uh, julio rodriguez and kelnick i I just i don't know you couldn't combine two better outfield prospects i don't think we've ever seen uh, two highly rated outfield prospects of their caliber come up around the same time. So that's exciting for me as a prospect guy. Uh, definitely something to watch for. I think this team has a huge boom potential. Um, I don't, I think they have a pretty high floor too, honestly. Like they just have good bats in that lineup. They have guys that get on base. They have guys that work counts. They have some veterans on their team, like I talked about. And so, um, I, I think their floor is pretty high, but their boom is just, uh, like you said, playoffs. I mean, they could be the team leading the division. And with how they were playing last year, when it came down to that wild card race, they snuck in at the last moment um, among teams like the Sox, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays. They almost stole a spot for the wild card. So, I mean, I just, they have the drive, they have the talent, and, uh, and they're well coached. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm I'm kind of all in on the Mariners for the uh, AL West this year. Yeah, I mean the the Angels and Rangers are no no teams to laugh at, and maybe the no a- not at all. The maybe AL the, West is going to be fun. The Oakland A's saw sure. something here. They said we're going to tear it all down because we can't win. We can't compete. No, there's four incredible teams in that division, and then there's and the A's. It, yeah, the Astros, who were a team that went to the World Series last year. 
are kind of like feeling like they might not even win their division. And so that's just crazy to think about. I mean, I know they only oh, they, lost one they player, won't, but they won't win the division. They're not winning. I don't think division. they will. I and I think there's a chance that they come in third. I mean, the Angels have added tons of talent. The Mariners have added tons of talent. Um, and the Astros seem to kind of and the Rangers have added tons of talent. Right so yeah, obviously the Rangers. I mean, who knows where the Astros can end right. up? Um, you got to say, given the amount of talent that the Angels, the Rangers, and the Mariners have—I keep forgetting about the Rangers. Given all the talent they have added, I mean, at least two of those teams are going to boom and reach the potential of like what they were hoping to achieve. Maybe, maybe one is just like lacking a little bit in experience or something. I don't know, or maybe just that drive to win. But, um, but two of those teams are going to be awesome, given the Rangers middle infield and um, the Angels outfield and the Mariners, just everything like I, they've all they're all like if you look at it as a basketball plus minus, they're all in the plus and the Astros are in the minus. That's a simple way to put it. So, I mean, I don't have a lot of confidence for Houston and I hate them. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It looks like they're going to face a gauntlet, which is finally nice because they've had a stranglehold on that division. But in other news to wrap up baseball, Carlos Beltran is now a broadcaster for the Yankees on. Yes, I don't know if you saw this, but he made his first boof as a broadcaster today when he said that Aaron Judge had an extension already. Um, maybe he knows something that the rest of the world and even the Yankees don't Probably and does. even Aaron Judge don't. But yeah. I, I just thought I I throw that out there. I thought it was funny um, that in his like second like broadcast. Yeah, yeah it, it should come soon. I think there's an off there's an offer on the table. But breaking news here. Um, this is in the NFL per per Adam Schefter here. As very very as of in the last hour. Adam Schefter reports that the Eagles are sending picks number 16, 19, and 194 in the sixth round. A sixth rounder and two firsts to the Saints for their Saints first round pitch, which is number 18. Um, a third round pick and a seventh round pick this year. And also their first round pick next year and a second round pick two years from now. Um, the Saints are saying basically – through all the models I'm reading here, it says it's a very even trade. Um, like they they give points to each team based on like value of the picks, and, and it's very even. Um, so if you want to just cross off 18 and 19 out of here and say those are even, um, then the Saints are getting number 16 and a sixth rounder, giving up a third rounder, a future first, a seventh rounder and a future second, two years removed second. That seems like an, a lot for the 16th pick. Um, a third. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I would give the edge. I, I think it's both teams playing off of each other. I think the saints are saying we want to win now. And the Eagles are like, we don't know if we have a quarterback in Jalen hurts, which makes me even more confident about um, competing in, in the, in the, in the NFC East because, you know, our giants, although we know we don't really have a quarterback that that's, that's good. Um, the Eagles 
have a decent quarterback and they keep telling him, throwing signs at him, we don't believe in you. We're going to get another pick in the first round next year. They made sure of that. Um, I hope it's not a good one. I'll be rooting for the Saints this year. Um, hopefully, Jameis Winston can come back and look like he did last year. Or maybe the Saints are saying they got these two picks and they're going to trade up again and get a quarterback. Um, I hope they do that. So, yeah, I hope they give us those picks in exchange for the seventh, our seventh overall pick and they take like Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett or something. But, yeah, I thought that I that was crazy. That's a blockbuster deal in the NFL. Um, so, yeah, do you have any thoughts on that, Beal? Yeah, I mean, there's not much to say, really. I mean, it's pretty even trade. It's just one team is playing for the now and one team is playing for the future. So, yeah, um, no, I did. I, I did see it. I didn't really have that many thoughts on it, only because, like, uh, I didn't really care to think about what it could mean for both teams because um, I don't like the Eagles uh, and don't care about the Saints, really. Um, yeah. It was it was kind of you know I, I saw picks being traded. I was like I pulled up my phone. It was like Eagles trade, you know, first round pick. And then I was like expecting to see some big star come to the Eagles, and it was just a trade of picks. So, um, you know, it's a big trade in the NFL. But um, but my interest in the NFL is game day and draft day. I don't really do too much outside of that. Um, I used to care a lot until the Red Sox like just constantly gave me panic attacks and just anger issues for when they didn't do anything. So now I just watch the games and I have fun. And that's all you could ask of a Giants fan. Because if you ask them to pay attention to offseason things, it just makes you mad. You see the Eagles making trades. You see the Cowboys making trades. You see the uh, Commanders making trades. And it just leaves us alone. And or, it, or it gives you hope, which is the worst thing a Giants fan can right, ever have. Right, exactly. Um, like, don't tell me we're going to assign freaking James Bradbury and our defense is going to be awesome because that happened, and it wasn't that awesome. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm done with it. I'm done. Yeah, I agree with Time you. Time cut. Yep, hope is the Game scariest thing a sports sports fan could ever have. Um, right. Yeah, it's the scariest emotion the of them all. That's fine. I'm fine with that. But the Giants, no, can't handle that. All right. Um, but on the other news, NFL, it's mock draft season. Um, that's that's what it is. And speaking of mock drafts, also mock drafts as the NCAA tournament comes to a close here tonight. Um, NBA mock drafts. We have NBA lottery. Um, so with the lottery as it stands right now, Orlando and Houston are tied for that number one slot in the lottery. Detroit's at three, Thunder at four, um, Pacers at five. And then there's a drop off um, because Portland has more wins. The Kings have more wins who are sixth and seventh right now. Um, And the Lakers have the eighth best odds for the number one pick. And guess who their pick? They don't have their own pick because they traded it to the Pelicans um right in that ad trade um so (laughs) if the pelicans somehow if that pick jumps up to number one and the pelicans make the play-in tournament over over the lakers i mean it's (laughs) 
that that's going to be pretty funny if uh, if that happens. I because I, I think it really could. The Pelicans trade here uh, for CJ McCollum basically, and and sending away Josh Hart and uh, Alexander Walker, and they trade their first round pick to the Blazers. So them winning is definitely not hurting themselves. Um, it's only helping themselves and they get to have some of those young players get some experience. If Zion comes back, this team's interesting. Uh, I'm not going to say good and going to contend for anything, but they're interesting. I think they can win I like a play the word playing game. I like that. Yeah. I think they're fun. They're fun TV. Cause I agree. They I'm, are at I'm least fun TV. I agree. Yeah. Um, but this also in other news in the NBA, I, I mean, Standings wise, the way it shakes out, I mean, the the Warriors are kind of sliding. The Suns have the grip on the one seed. The Grizzlies have the grip in the two seed in the West. Um, and then in the East, the Heat are starting to pull away again with that one seed. And then you have the Sixers, Celtics, Bucks, all in that two, three, four range. Um, and then there's everybody else. Um, but what what's really important here, and not that important, but it's individual awards here. Uh, is th- these are some of the closest races I've ever seen with individual awards. Um, we'll start with the scoring race. Um, this NBA scoring race right now is led by LeBron James, who didn't play again last night, but played the night before where I'm telling you, Beal, he is literally just resting a game, playing the next game so he can play and take as many shots as possible and be fully rested. I, I mean, how can you be, I mean, he's resting at this point when the team needs to get to the playoffs. I, I'm so confused if this – he plays 40 minutes the other night, but two days later, it's not a back-to-back against Denver at home. He doesn't play at all, even though he didn't get injured in the game previous. I mean, it's it, it's crazy to me. I, I mean, what do you think? I mean, you're right. He is just so good. I agree with you. He is very, very good. It is very impressive for a 37-year-old man to be leading the scoring race. But right on his heels, Joel Embiid wins a four-point game against the Cavs, puts up 44 points. He's averaging 30.2 on the season per game. LeBron James at 30.3. And in third place, Giannis with 30.1 points per game. This is going to come down to the final game. Um so for LeBron, being this being the only thing he cares about this year and their team now looking to miss the playoffs as they've lost, they've lost, I think, like eight of their last 10, I want to say. I mean, I could be wrong. Yeah, eight of their last 10 they've lost. Um, they're sitting at 31 and 47. They're two games back of the Spurs for that final spot in the play-in and three games back of the Pelicans with only four games, four, four games to play. And they get to play at the Suns, at the Warriors, home against the Thunder, which should be a win, and then at the Nuggets. That is not an easy close to the, to the season. Um, so I think LeBron will sit at least two more games and will p- definitely play against the Thunder at home and put up like 50 points against the Thunder, something like that. Mark my words, he will definitely play that Thunder game, no matter what. Yeah, he doesn't want to look bad. <laughs> there we go. I finally got it out of you. It's a I'm little, just it's just a little odd 
it's it's a little odd in a game they need to win and he doesn't play. It's just it's a little odd. I guess it, it's a nagging injury um, that that's keeping him sidelined. But he comes back after two games, um, and he and he sits with that with a lingering ankle issue. I I I don't know. It just gives me questions. Um, raises questions but that's the scoring race which is incredibly close but the mvp race feel i know you have Jokic as the nuggets fan no doubt in your mind you think it's Jokic. he's the reigning mvp he has even better stats this year than he did last year you can say all of those things but and he's i mean single-handedly pretty much brought that team to the playoffs him and and some help from aaron gordon and and will barton and the likes but those, those are role play. He hasn't had like a great scoring option next to him. I mean, you know this better than I do as a Nuggets fan. Um, yeah, he's definitely the best player in the league. Um, <laughs> best player of all time. That's, I, that is a succinct and very great case for Jokic for MVP. Um, the other guys in the running, nobody in the West really compares to Jokic. It's him and everybody else. Uh Steph being hurt, he's out of the race. Ja being hurt, he's out of the race. Doncic, eh. I mean, he's just not not putting he's not eh. He's incredible. He's, he's definitely he, up the race, but he's up. I, I would say he's comfortably maybe at like five. And then my argument against him is that I feel like he can do better. And I know that's like Really hard to say when the dude is putting up the stats that he is. But, like, I think we all kind of feel a little bit that way. Like, we kind of feel like he should have improved almost. And, like, Jokic clearly did from last year. I think that Doncic has shown that he's even better than this. And I think that might be why Luka has been a little bit scrutinized, but I, I do think the reasoning for that is because he's kind of lived up to his expectations rather than exceeded them. And uh, like he had very lofty expectations coming into the season. The fact that he has met those expectations are pretty incredible. Um, but at the end of the day, Jokic had crazy lofty expectations. He's improved in many areas from his MVP season. He's shooting a higher clip. Um, he's rebounding more better he's uh, i mean i don't know what the word is for that but the dude's <laughs> averaging 14 boards a game yeah and i i think people don't really I didn't really think of him as like a beast last year i think they kind of thought of him as a playmaking guru um but 14 rebounds you got to be a beast to to put up those kind of numbers those are ben wallace numbers there that's dwight howard numbers i mean it, he is a man amongst boys in the paint this year and um and what he's been able to do kind of exceeded what people thought he'd be able to do um and beads doing the same thing um i mean the guy is really honing in on the playmaking part of his game and uh his his shot creating and and that's that's really what people asked him to do i mean that's where he was lacking and then Giannis is just doing more of what he's already done so so i feel like that's why that top three has been so solidified i do think that he hasn't added anything necessarily to his game is it possible to add anything to his game i don't know because he's already such a great player 
but I do think that part of what people are missing is defense and uh and Jokic has added that to his game he's averaging over uh, he's averaging a block per game and two steals in the last month or something like a dude is putting up yeah great defensive stats and beads doing his thing Giannis doing his thing um and and Luca I believe you know as he learns defense a little bit better um whether he is uh, Jokic is not a physically uh, <laughs> a monstrous defender yeah he's um, not he's intimidating not down low defender but he knows where he needs to be and he he can get there and like and I think that's where Luca's getting to. Maybe he can't, um, you know, be like a LeBron James defender on the wing where he could play in the post and, and get out to the wing quickly because he's just – that's just not who he is. But as, as Luca spends more time in the league, he's just going to be in the right places at the right time um, and be able to be a better defender. I just don't think that – like the analysis is really showing that he's made a big step in that direction. Like not calling him bad defender. I just think that in order for him to be part of that MVP conversation, he has to make some strides um, because the other three have. And like the, the expectation for an MVP is so lofty. And so I, I, I hate saying that like he hasn't met those expectations because I do think he has. Um, but I do think that's where the separation is. Yeah, I, I think it's just, I mean, the guy's averaging 28 points per game, nine yeah, rebounds, and nine assists. I mean, he's good. But the field yeah. goal efficiency has dropped um, from 48% to 45.5%. Now, you might say that's only 2.5%, but but that's pretty big for for a guy leading your team, like being efficient and taking great shots. Um I think he is going to be a scoring. We just talked about uh, scoring champ. This guy, Luca, even with his passing ability and his rebound ability, he's going to be a scoring champ. There, there's no doubt yeah. in my mind that that if For he sure. was the scoring champ this year and averaging over 30 points, that he would be right at the top of that MVP race with what the Mavs have done lately and made a late push and probably going to finish as a three seed in the West. That's um, a really good point. That's honestly probably the thing that, people expected he would do that he's missing is win the scoring title um and he definitely will i agree with you i know that he will by the end of his career like it just he has the talent it just it's got to be the right year it's not always about who plays the best to win the scoring title there's a lot of factors that play into that but uh but yeah so i do think that's a good point i honestly that's that's probably why that's the only expectation that he hasn't met. And that's probably a big reason why he's not receiving um, the, the votes that, or I mean, voting hasn't happened yet, but he's not receiving kind of the, the praise and the hype. The praise, yeah. yeah. But right, it, it's really, it's really a three man race. DeMar DeRozan early in the season when the bulls were the one seed at the break tied for the one seed. Um, the Bulls have faded, but what DeMar DeRozan has done for the Bulls this year with Zach Levine being banged up with the knee injury, Zach Levine's still been great, but DeMar DeRozan, nobody expected this. And that's, that's where the hype comes from. Like there was no expectations. Um, people were saying it was the worst trade, one of the worst trades in recent history, um, that the Bulls had made. And it's proved pretty much every person and every analyst wrong. 
Um, the mid-range isn't dead, but I think it's DeRozan at five, Doncic at four, but that top three is muddled um, between Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. Um, we'll go head-to-head comparison here. We have um, we have Joel Embiid averaging 30.2 points on 49% shooting, 11.6 rebounds, 4.2 assists. Add it as he's also the best defender down low in the league. Um, Debatable. Who do you do you really want to make a debate for Rudy Gobert right now? You no, trash on him Rudy. all the time. I hate Rudy. Okay. <laughs> but DeAndre he's a, Ayton. Oh, okay. A younger guy who can step out on the floor more. I, I get that. But at the rim, Joel is a menace. He's an absolute menace. Um, then you have Giannis. Adebayo. Okay. Yeah, these are – you're naming guys now who can step out. Bam is probably the best because he can guard one through five pretty pretty Agreed. well. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm talking about at the rim, like down low. Like, like you're attacking the rim. You were saying Jokic isn't that intimidating to go at the rim. And B no, is intimidating. <laughs> but – very similar here. Giannis averages 30 points per game, 11.6 rebounds, and more assists, almost six assists per game versus Embiid's, um, Embiid's two. And, and also Giannis shoots the ball at a field goal percentage of 55.5% versus Embiid's 49%. Um, and the Bucks and Sixers right now are in a tie for third and fourth in the Eastern conference. So, you know, if they, I think it might come down to which team finishes higher in the standings here down the stretch. I think it's going to come down to who has a better close to the regular season. Cause that's pretty much when the voting ends, right? It's for some reason, it doesn't really count the playoffs, right? Remember when Dirk got the MVP after they got upset in the first round by the Warriors at when they were like a two, a one or a two seed back then by the young Warriors upset them. Do you I remember do. that? And then the next I round do. he gets the MVP and it was kind of like, yeah, it's got to feel kind of like a slap in the face, but I'll read Jokic's stats to 27 points per game. Um, almost 14 assists. Uh, almost 14 rebounds per game, 13.7 and eight assists per game as a center. You know what he can do on offense. He's still improving that defense. He was MVP last season with he's improved on every stat, but he's lowered his assists by 0.3 a game and he's upped his field goal percentage to 58.3%, which is incredible. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just most, I, I'm pretty sure it's like close to like 90% of MVPs have had, have been on a top three seed in their division. And the Nuggets are going to finish in that fifth or sixth slot in the West, while these Bucks and Sixers can finish. One of them is going to finish in the top three, or both of them could finish in the top three because they're both only a half game back of the Celtics. So, I think it's going to come down to this race, and I think the race is more hyped in the East because it's closer. So I think the bet whoever closes better in Giannis or Joel is going to win. Not to say that Jokic doesn't deserve it, 
um, or hasn't earned it. He's upped his game from last year. I just think these guys have also elevated their game. Giannis has already been an MVP and he's, he's now a 30% three point shooter when he couldn't hit the side of a barn two years ago. So he's definitely improving his game um, and taking it to a next level that most people thought he couldn't, he couldn't do. Well, most people two years ago was like, he's never going to win a championship. He's never going to be able to stretch the floor. Um, and that's just not that I, I would let him shoot threes all day. Um, but yeah, I'm just saying he's, he's at least adequate now. Would you, would you agree with that? I will concur. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, this is the closest race as any. I think all of these guys are deserving. Um, Joel is the most loud, outspoken about it after last night's performance where he put up 44 points. Um, and he, did you see what he, what he said? He was like, what more do I need to do to win MVP? Um, but I, I think it's in, I mean, it is, the Jokic and Giannis have already won it. So I think that might go in Joel's favor here, honestly, with the voters and giving a new guy, the MVP. I don't think that really factors in a lot, but Embiid has been closing very well um, down the stretch here. So I, I think he's making that late push for the top spot. Um, and he could also win the scoring title as a center, which, which hasn't been done in a very, very long time. Ever since Jordan came around. Do you know what? What? You're uh, wrong. <laughs> you okay. want to just hear Jokic's recent stat lines? Yeah, please shoot. Talking about closing a season well against the Lakers, 38, 18, and 6. Against Minnesota, 38, 19, and 8. Against Indiana, 37, 13, and 9. Against Charlotte, 26, 19, and 11. I went to that game. Against Oklahoma City, 35, 12, and 8. What more can you ask for? That's his last five games. The dude's averaging um, mid 30s in points. Uh, just some quick math here about 17 rebounds and I don't give or take eight, nine assists. I, 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 I'm not steals, one steal, two steals, two steals, two steals. I mean, the dude, 68%, 66%, 78%, 52%, 86%, 90%. His stats in the last five games. He's been averaging over 70% from field goal. The only player in NBA history to average 70% from field goal in a five-game stretch while averaging at least 30 points is Jokic. Nobody else. No Wilt. Nobody. No Embiid. Nobody. All right. But hear this out. In his last five games, Joel goes for 44 and 17 to go along with five blocks in a win against the Cavs and a win against the Hornets, 29 and 14 and six and a win and a loss. And then he lost against Detroit, lost against Milwaukee in a close game and the Suns 
Um, but he goes for 37, 15, 29 and 14, 37 and 15 to go along with three steals. He's closed just as well. And he would be the first center to win the scoring title since, since 2000 when Shaquille O'Neal won it with the Lakers. Yeah, That's, well, Jokic is the first center to do what he's doing too. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll stop it. <laughs> Who gives a shit about a scoring title? You just made fun of LeBron for going after one. I, yeah, but that's like, you, Joel's also helping his team and propelling his team. I know, we're not I talking know. I'm about, right. I'm like, right. We're not talking about LeBron in, in the MVP race. If we were, I'm just saying the team's not winning any games. The Lakers are going to miss the play-in tournament, let alone the playoffs. They're going to finish outside of the top 10 in the West um, and well under 500. Uh, to teams like the Pelicans and the Spurs. If they make a late push here and make the playoffs, I'm going to be so upset. Um, but, and I, I'm, I hope I'm not talking it into existence right now. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's great races and, and some great competition down the stretch. Um, but something that I love to see even more than I, than I love to see um LeBron not making the play playoffs was coach K going out the way, the way he did. Um, yeah. I'm upset that March madness is almost over, but this year has brought some great, great memories. Um, it's brought heartbreak with UConn losing in the first round to an incredible Teddy Allen in New Mexico state. It brought the first 15 seed, lowest seed ever to make an Elite Eight um, in St. Peter's. Um, our hometown team, right? They lived within 30 minutes of both of us um, in Jersey City. Um, I mean, it, it's just brought very good memories. And now your team, the team that you root for besides South Carolina, your North Carolina Tar Heels, give Coach K his first loss ever way back when he became a coach 20 something years ago. Um, and they give him his last loss ever. Um, or is it his last loss ever? Do you think coach K comes back after this? No. Wow. Wow. I, I think he might, I think he's going to take a year off. Right. And if, if Tommy Amaker, the new coach, of the Duke Blue Devils um, a year from now or two years from now, let's give them two years, and they're not doing that great as a team. I think Coach K comes back for a year and is a bridge to a new coach. It's hard to follow a legend like, like Coach K, especially with his, with his, and that's another thing, with his going out tour and getting bowed to and, and praised every week by every fandom. I mean, he deserves it. Greatest college coach of all time, arguably, um, and probably the greatest college coach of all time. Um, but he did not go out quietly. Um, but this was one of the most poetic ways he could go out. Um, God, it's just, it's still, it's mind blowing to me. Um, this storyline, um, yeah, I mean, Beal, I said it before last week that I was coming to visit you in Durham. We went to a bar out there in Durham and watched the game. 
um, with your brother who is, who's a diehard Duke fan and your fiance who goes to grad school at Duke um, and your dad who was just very funny, very funny and great co- comedic relief there. Um, but in a Duke bar with probably about 140 Duke fans and like 10 UNC fans in the entire bar. Um, I've never seen a bar clear out so fast after that final whistle nope, drops. Neither have I. People um, were gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe like, you know, in, in college bars when the cops come or something, have I seen like, uh, you know, bars clear out faster than that, but that that's the only time it, it was like a pin drop in there, except for that one, um, one UNC fan. Did you see him at the corner of the bar, um, with the hat on, he was jumping for joy and and yelling. I felt, I don't think I've ever felt heartbreak for another fandom, but seeing 140 hearts broken there um, really like I felt something for them. I, I, you know, I, I was rooting for UNC, um, but I definitely, you know, I felt, is it like, I felt bad for probably about five seconds and then after that five seconds, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I am so happy right now. Um, Beal, uh, uh, what are your thoughts on this game? What are your takeaways? Um, does this tarnish um, Coach K's legacy? What, what are your uh, feelings? Long answer, yes. Short answer, no. Okay. Please explain. No, it's okay. no, I'm just um, <laughs> it, it long answer, yes. Actually, no, short answer, yes. I, I'll change that up. Short answer, yes, because like I don't know, I think a lot of people think it does. Short answer, no. Um, at the end of the day, I was talking to someone today. At the end of the day, Coach K made it to the final four in his last season. Yeah, yeah, nobody expected Duke to do that at the end of the regular season. At the end, they were scuffling, yeah, they, they go- weren't looking too good. And they dialed in. The players fought hard. They deserved to be where they were. Bonchero came into his own. Um, the whole team was just playing like a team. And that goes back to the coach. Coach K allowed them to hunker down, kind of get back to their ability that people expected preseason. Um, and really, really brought a lot of hope that they might bring home another championship banner. Um, they didn't, they were spoiled by North Carolina. Um, but it's almost poetic. I mean, the only team that could be, uh, like that type of morale, uh, uh, I mean the, the buildup for, for Duke and the confidence that they gained in the, in the postseason was just incredible. I don't think any team can top that. Like I just, when you have that much confidence and that much pride going into a game, fighting for your coach. Um, a guy that brought you all together. I don't think there's a lot that can sequester that, but when a rivalry comes to town, I think UNC is the only team in the country who beats Duke in that game. I really do. I think anybody else Duke would have beaten. North Carolina came in um, with confidence. They had just beaten Duke uh, with pride because uh, I, I mean, these guys had been around the school for a while. They, uh, they love the program. They're fighting for the new coach and 
coach in Hubert Davis. Um, and North Carolina had a lot too going into it and a lot of uh, confidence and a lot of momentum going into it. Um, I, I think it was like, honestly, the clash of two like steamrolling engines. And I really don't think that anybody else could have stopped Duke. And I think Coach K realizes that. I think he ran into a powerhouse team that was just getting hot at the right time. It kind of reminds – the UNT kind of reminds me of uh, the Nationals a couple years ago when they steamrolled into a World Series ring, and they just could not be stopped. It didn't matter who was on that team. It didn't matter what they did in the regular season. Um, And they just, uh, you know – did what they did. And UNC reminds me of that. They just had a lot going for them. They had a chip on their shoulder. I think they just had one extra little chip than Duke had. And so I think that's what propelled them to winning. But, um, but I don't know. I mean, short answer of yes. I mean, it does kind of tarnish uh, Kay's career. Like I, I hope that he realizes those things that UNC was just an engine that could not be stopped. Um, They, were playing as well as they were. And I, I think, I think deep down he does realize that as a basketball coach that, um, that it wasn't meant to be. Um, I, I know, I think we were talking about this before, but JJ Reddick had said something. He, he was talking to coach K after one of the times they lost the championship and, and he's like, man, I can't believe we couldn't win. And coach K was like, well, you didn't deserve to win. And I think coach K has a really good mindset when it comes to winning. I think at the end of the day, he knows that if they don't win, then it wasn't meant to be and that, you know, the, the players just weren't ready for that. I, I think that this outcome was on his radar and I don't think it was heartbreaking to him. I think it was more heartbreaking to the fans. Wow. I know the way, he, the way he walked off the court, um, they, didn't shake, they didn't shake hands with UNC. The yeah. way he, the, how upset he looked, I, I think he knew this he was a possibility. He wanted it so badly. Yes. But he is a realistic coach, and I just, think at the end of the like day, like any he has great as much competitor pride as he did does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in 42 years, his last loss is their first meeting ever in the in a turn in the tournament. North Carolina between North Carolina and Duke, arch rivals. They lose in the final four in a heartbreaker, an iconic game. We were talking about this. This might be the greatest game. Um, and the most meaning and hype behind it going into it in ever, ever in our lifetimes, at least. Um, we were talking maybe uh, Russia versus USA in hockey, uh, the miracle on ice. Um, that, but that, that was how many years ago now? I think that was before we were, before we were born. Um, but like I said before, the first loss, ever in coach K's career was in 1980. He lost to UNC. He lost to UNC 80 to uh, 78 to 76 by two points. And then he loses 81 77 in a heartbreaker in the final four to that same team, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Um, And speaking of 1980, the miracle on ice was in 1980. So yes, well before both of us were born. Um, But that amateur um, college kids from us knocking off professionals, um, in Russia in the finals, um, in that, in that gold medal game is, is probably, I mean, we weren't alive then, so we don't, we don't know how to compare it, but in our lifetimes, this Duke UNC game has probably got to be the greatest game I've ever 
I've ever witnessed and ever been yeah, a, it's the best been a part of. And, yeah. and the atmosphere um, being in Durham was, was perfect. I mean, it, it was every basket was crazy, was cheered. Um, and I wouldn't have rather been any, anywhere else. I got to watch it with my best friend. Um, so I, I, I couldn't ask for anything better. And yes, when uh, Coach K, I mean this, but this leading to the, uh, I, I don't know, Boncaro, yes, great run, supplants itself pretty much as the one seed. But like I said before, this team was young, led by a freshman in Boncaro. Um, and I, Caleb Love, unbelievable. Only a sophomore, ice in his veins. Um, same thing with RJ Davis, RJ Davis kept them in the game in the first half. Um, Caleb love was not existent in the first half without RJ Davis performance in the first half. We're not even talking about this. Duke kept going on runs and UNC would just climb right back into it and go into a run of their own. They never backed down from the fight and you're right with Baycott, um, with Brady Manick. Um, and and Leaky Black and even Puff Johnson gave some good minutes off the bench. Um, the team just didn't back down, and I think it was because of the team's experience in those games. Not a single freshman um, really getting minutes, unless Puff Johnson's a freshman, but I'm pretty sure he's a sophomore. Um, I will look that up real quick. But leading to the finals, um, yeah, he he is he is a sophomore. Puff Johnson is a sophomore. So, wow, I was right. Um, that's crazy. I didn't think – I thought I was going to be wrong. Um, but I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. And I could be wrong right here before saying this. In, 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 only, in an hour or two, we got Kansas, UNC. Um, UNC now, you know, you're look, you say UNC blue blood. They were an eight seed. They started the season very poorly this year. Um, and this, this is considered a Cinderella run. A it am is. I wrong? It's, it's so overlooked because of the other teams that were involved. I mean, we had Miami just a couple of weeks ago, still in it. We had St. Peter's still in it. Um, but North Carolina still an eight seed. I mean, like you're not wrong. They lost to Virginia tech in the semis of, the ACC championship. I mean, they were not looking great. Even after they beat Duke, they had some stumblings. But as Hubert Davis said, this team is a team with leaders. Those leaders stepped into their own roles, and um, and they're ready to fight. So, I mean, it's going to be an awesome game. It's it's the battle between a favorite and an underdog, and it shouldn't really have any other storyline. I mean, at the end of the day, despite what UNC has been able to do in the postseason – um, they still have that chip on their shoulders and, and they're not going into this expecting to win. Uh, I can guarantee you that, but they are trying to win and they're Ooh, playing their asses. Off. I disagree with that. The confidence this team is playing with, they're expecting to win. I mean, they're, they're confident for sure, but I like, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I guess maybe that was the wrong use of wording, but I, you know what I mean? Like they're at the end of the day, they're, like, I don't think they went into the postseason expecting to win this. I mean, maybe now they are. I'm, I'm sure they are, actually. But, you know, I I still think that they're an underdog. Um, it's not Def over yet. Definitely an underdog with how Kansas looked, 
we were at the bar for the Kansas game too beforehand. Um, and it, Kansas kept Boy, Nova. Yeah, they looked really good. They kept Nova at an arm's length. They never let them really get within. Since the game had started, I think they started, what, on a 7-0 run to start the game? Um, yes. Since the like that tip, um, since after those first couple of possessions, after that first two minutes, Nova was never within, within one possession of, of Kansas. That is incredible to do. Kansas took it wire to wire with the lead. No lead changes, no ties except for 0-0 with a tip, which I don't think counts as a tie technically. Um, yeah, I, I mean, crazy. Now we got a matchup. And my, my prediction here, I have two, I have two comps for these games. Storylines, you got Caleb Love um, versus Oche Ogbagi. Those are the two players. Those are two incredible scorers. Um, Oche is going to be a lottery pick. And Caleb Love's making a case here for him to, to definitely be a first-round pick. Um, he wasn't even thought to be leaving after this year. So I think this run might cost Caleb Love for the future um, with, with his UNC future because I think he might go pro because um, this has been an absolutely incredible run. But I have two comps here, right? They're, the eight seeds to make the final four have been Butler um, back in 2011, and they lost to UConn. Um, and then Kentucky also you losing to UConn in 2014. Kentucky is an eight seed. UConn is a seven seed. Those were added up the highest, highest total of seeds ever in a game in 2014. Um, but this is where history is way in your favor, Beal, and the Tar Heels' favor. Number eight Villanova Wildcats back in 1985 take down the Goliath of Georgetown, who had only lost three games all year. Number one Georgetown had Pat Ewing and David Wingate. Um, Villanova won in a crazy upset. Um, they had guys, I mean, you're, they had three players to go th- pro named Ed Pinckney, who was a great player, great forward. Um, Dwayne McLean, that's an all-time name, and Harold Presley. Um, but none of those guys are household names in the NBA. Pat Ewing and David Wingate, better pros. Um, you had Bill Martin, Reggie Williams, and Michael Jackson, not the singer, Michael Jackson. You had five pros on the Georgetown team. Um, just to me, incredible. Um, just just incredible um, what, what this US, UNC team has done. And I, I, I just don't know, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I predicted that Kansas would win from the start of the tournament in my bracket pool. Um, so I hope I'm right for that say, just for being right, but I'm going to be rooting for you and your taller heels. I don't really have a stake in the game um, for this game at all. Um, so I'll be rooting for the, I'll just be rooting for an incredible game to watch tonight. Um, but in the, on the flip side, Beal, I'll give you the flip side and you can tell me which scenario you think is going to happen. Um, the flip side is this reminds me a lot. I know they were a one seed, but Wisconsin back in 2015 upsets undefeated 
Kentucky in a crazy, crazy game in that final four. They, they took down, they took down Kentucky. Um, they took them, they took them down 71 to 64, but there was a hard fought battle, really hard fought. A lot of blood shed, shed and tears where the number one Duke Blue Devils took on a Michigan State team who was a seven seed and made a Cinderella run to the final four that year. Duke beat him by 20, had more gas and won by five in the championship. I think the same thing's going to happen here. UNC is not deep whatsoever. They really only have five starter caliber players, like good minute players. Um, Puff Johnson is okay. I know he is an excellent name and it's Cameron Johnson's brother and can play some defense. Um, but not a lot of guys that can give tremendous minutes for this UNC team and couple that with Baycott getting hurt a little bit, um, where Kansas is eight deep with the sixth man of the tournament and Remy Martin. Um, I think it's going to play out like that. I think coming off of the adrenaline playing your rival first time ever, the hype behind that game, I think there's going to be, an adrenaline drop, even though this team is veteran led by Brady Manick and Baycott down low and Leaky Black at forward, but it comes down to guard play and the sophomores of RJ Davis and, and Caleb Love, I think might have a semi down game and that's all it takes because they're going to need another great game at, out of one of them, if not both of them to win this game. Yeah. And I think they're going to fall just short. That That is my prediction based on that scenario. But it definitely could go the other way back to 1985. The only – and in your favor, the only eight seeds to lose in the finals, they're one and two all, all time in the finals. The only two losses they have are both to UConn. And UConn's not playing North Carolina today. Yep. You're right. You're um. Right. So what's your – I'm guessing true. you're predicting North Carolina to win tonight. I, I, I North don't Carolina's going to win. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, but I, I think they could win another crazy game. Um, going back to that Villanova team, that eight seed, they won 66 to 64. Um, Raleigh Massimino beat John Thompson. Um, John Thompson, a great coach for Georgetown. Um, yeah. And this was cited as the perfect game. It's it's considered one of the greatest upsets of all time. Um, I don't think that it has because there's no Pat Ewing on Kansas. Um, so I don't think this will, will be quoted the perfect game. If you want the perfect game, an, another perfect game, it would be that Final Four game um, versus Duke. Um, Caleb yeah. Love was absolutely sensational. Um, that was such an incredible game and I hope we get another great game. Um, but yeah, I'm taking Kansas. I know you're taking UNC. Um, but we'll just, we'll just go with bragging rights. I, I think come next show, we will have bragging rights. I'm sad that March madness has ended. It is my favorite time of year. Um, and I think that this year has proven why March madness is the best time of year with fans back in the stands and the hype around it and able to go out and watch the games. It's been absolutely incredible. So really I hope for, for another story, Brooke finish. Um, 
but that that does it for me for for today's though that does it for us feel i cannot be can't wait to be back here and hopefully for you the tar heels will be lifting the trophy um but in three days time we get yankees red sox opening day garrett cole versus nathan Avaldi. i can't wait everybody have a tremendous rest of your day um, rest of your evening, whatever it is, enjoy the sunset, sunrises, enjoy the beauty of this world. Um, I love you all. Also, the Masters is right around the corner. We didn't even talk about this, but the Masters, the Masters is this week. It's crazy how fast sports are picking up. Then we'll have NBA, NHL playoffs. Um, gosh, I love sports, man. I really do, too. It's beautiful. It's quite beautiful. All right. Take us out, Bill. Uh, well, I have so many things to say. I, I mean, I don't know what to say. I, like, I, go Heels. I, I mean, they're going to win. I didn't have to say much. I, I know that you don't think they're going to win, and you're a Kansas Jayhawk guy. But the Tar Heels are going to win. Um, I am not a that. Kansas State Jayhawk guy. Let's just say that. <laughs> I just picked them at the start of the tournament. That means nothing. Right, though. right. Yeah, yeah, okay. I just knew um, they were going to win. Yeah, okay. Armando is going to swat everybody. So, yeah, have fun with that. Um, uh, yeah, and this is our last time we'll get to talk to you guys before. Actually, no, we're going to have another podcast on Wednesday. So, we will talk to you before uh, opening day. So, that, that'll be uh, – a joy to talk about Eva versus Garrett Cole and to further elaborate on that matchup. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I was going to say go Evo, you know, knock out Garrett Cole in second again. That'd be awesome. Uh, but yeah, we could talk about that next podcast and yeah, we will yeah, talk about we'll that next podcast. Talk about the masters and yeah. amen corner. We'll have that picks. We will definitely mm-hmm. have picks for the masters that will be next podcast. And I can't wait. Um, but another storyline just to fit in at the end, I know I said I was done, but I'm coming back at you. I forgot to mention this Mark Williams, the center for Duke. Um, unfortunate that he missed those free throws. Cause he's getting a lot of slack for it when he, he, he was a great player for them all season um, and all tournament. And he's probably going to be a solid pro and going to be a first round pick. Um, but Mark Williams, Amardo Baycott, Baycott, I'm pretty sure was the ACC player. Yeah, ACC player of the year. Um, arguably the best big man in the country right now. Um, and Daniel McCormick, the center for the Jayhawks. They all played on the same AAU team. Imagine that. I mean, that's, yeah, that's an incredible cool. front court. So they're all friends. That is pretty cool. They all know each other. Um, so Baycott definitely won the battle between him and Mark Williams in that game against Duke. And that could have been the slight difference. Um, So it'll be interesting to see the battle down low is going to be important again, Baycott versus um, another friend of his and David McCormick. Um, I know he rolled his ankle um, in that last game. So it'll be interesting to see how that healed up and if he's hobbled at all, because he's bigger Kansas has Mitch Lightfoot as a center to bring off the bench. UNC does not have a big guy to bring off the bench. Baycott is everything for them. Um, so he's going to have to come up big again, and I can't wait for tonight. I, I don't know why the game is starting so late. 
I don't know why it doesn't start until like nine, almost nine thirty. Um, I, I, you know, we get up so early for work. I don't, I don't even. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping yeah. that it's that it's a blowout right. in one way or the other, so I can go to bed early. Um, That's fair. But because either way, I'm probably going to stay up and watch the whole game, um, which stinks. They just wrote me in every time. Um, And I'm going to suffer because of it. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, I love you, man. And I love love college basketball. And, yeah, yeah, I cannot wait for the baseball season, though. Um, Go Matthew Beal. Go Tar Heels. Mm -hmm.